Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 10th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. In this Longshore case, Rick Carter injured his back and neck in 1991 and has been permanently disabled since 1993. An ALJ awarded Carter disability and medical benefits based on 1996 stipulations between the parties. But protracted litigation has continued over disputes involving post-award issues. In the current dispute, Carter appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals claiming an award of about $14,000 in attorney fees and costs on his fee petition requesting about $22,000 was not enough. The district court had reduced the number of compensable hours claimed by his attorney by almost half, from over 60 to only 35 hours. Carter contends that reducing the fee award without sufficiently explaining a rationale was error. And the appeals board, in the published opinion of Carter v. Caleb Brett LLC, agreed. The panel vacated the order and remanded the case, directing the district court to articulate the basis for its fee determination. This federal court requires that courts reach attorney fees decision by considering some or all of 12 relevant criteria set forth within the 1975 landmark case of Kerr v. Screen Extras Guild. A mere statement that a court has considered the Kerr guidelines without specifics is not enough. Rather, the court must articulate with sufficient clarity the manner in which it makes its determination. While det detailed calculations are not mandated, something more than a bald, unsupported amount is necessary to affirm an award of attorney fees. As a general rule, a fee-awarding court that makes a substantial reduction in either documented time or authenticated rates should offer reasonably explicit findings. In its fee order, the district court identified the 12 Kerr factors and mentioned two that is considered most relevant. It was concerned with the disproportionate relationship between the amount of fees incurred and the amount at stake in litigation. And that Carter did not bear primary responsibility for the fact that this matter became considerably more protracted than the quick and inexpensive mechanism envisioned by the statute. Beyond that very brief discussion, the district court offered no other analysis. The court concluded that the district court did not explain its decision with sufficient specificity to allow it to review the reasonableness of the fee award. A new CWCI analysis finds that attorneys were involved in 11.6% of all claims, 38% of lost time claims, and 80% of permanent disability claims. The study also confirms that the area in and around Los Angeles remains a hotbed for California workers' compensation litigation, especially compared to Northern California. Though the attorney involvement rate for closed and resolved indemnity claims statewide was 38%, as in past studies, Litigation was more prevalent in the Los Angeles Basin, where 46% of all lost time cases in Los Angeles County involved an attorney. The attorney involvement rate also was above the statewide level in Orange County, Ventura, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo counties, and in the Inland Empire. 
In comparison, attorneys were involved in 34% of similar cases in San Jose, which was the highest rate in Northern California, while the rate for the rest of the Bay Area was 31.4%, well below the statewide rate. The study also found Orange and Los Angeles counties and the Inland Empire have the lowest closure rate for attorney involvement claims in the state, while average claim costs are among the highest. And now our fraud report. California Highway Patrol Officer Daniel Corey Clapp, an 11-year veteran officer stationed in Lassen County, and his wife, CHP dispatcher Jolia Marie Clapp, have been arrested on five felony counts of workers' compensation insurance fraud. Daniel Clapp filed his workers' compensation claim based upon injuries he allegedly received during a scuffle while making an arrest in 2011. Both of them stated to doctors that Daniel was unable to drive, lift heavy items, and that pain prevented him from performing his duties as a CHP officer. The CHP's internal affairs conducted surveillance on numerous occasions and observed Daniel Kemp boat, swim, and dive. In addition, he was observed driving for long periods of time and cutting and carrying large firewood rounds. Jolia Clapp often accompanied Daniel on these pleasure outings and would drive for him while in the local CHP jurisdiction and then change driver positions outside of the jurisdiction. During medical visits in which Daniel Clapp complained of pain, Jolia Clapp forcefully corroborated her husband's accounts. The details of the investigation are documented in the 157-page affidavit and felony complaint prepared in the case. Both defendants are accused of conspiracy and making false statements about the true extent of Daniel Clapp's physical activities and abilities in order to obtain benefits. Daniel Clapp is additionally accused of perjury in a deposition. The amount of the fraud is in excess of $50,000 and the charges carry a potential state prison sentence of up to five years and a $150,000 fine. This case is being prosecuted by the District Attorney's Insurance Fraud Unit. A psychologist apologized in a Los Angeles federal court for defrauding the federal government with inflated and fraudulent workers' compensation claims. A 2011 indictment charged psychologist Arnold Nuremberg with seven counts of mail fraud. The indictment alleged he submitted fraudulent paperwork to obtain compensation for psychological conditions that were never diagnosed and was reimbursed for medical expenses that were never incurred. According to the court documents, Nuremberg billed the U.S. Postal Service for nearly $1 million in bogus fees. Also charged in the case are two ex-postal workers, 47-year-old Louise Washington of Inglewood and 51-year-old Cedric Fletcher of Long Beach. Fletcher allegedly pocketed more than $200,000 as a result of the scheme, while Washington allegedly made more than $145,000. In some instances, Nuremberg allegedly billed the government for treatment sessions with Washington and Fletcher when records indicate the psychologist was out of the area or even out of the country. One of his patients was actually an undercover agent posing as a postal worker for whom Nuremberg secured disability pay. Nuremberg said he was grateful federal agents caught him. In an emotional speech, the 17-year-old told a judge he overbilled patients whose costs were covered by the government so he could treat those who could not pay. 
He claimed he wanted to stop, but was caught in an inner struggle and was thus grateful for the vigorous federal intervention that ended his fraudulent scheme. Nuremberg pleaded guilty to one count of fraud. Six other counts were dismissed by plea agreement. He was sentenced to five years probation with the first 12 months on home confinement and electronic monitoring. He also must pay restitution of about $170,000. The two ex-postal workers reached plea agreements and were sentenced earlier to probation and restitution. U.S. District Judge Christina Snyder said she considered letters from Nuremberg's family and friends in deciding his sentence. The prosecutor assistant U.S. attorney Rosella Oliver said she was persuaded that there were mitigating factors weighing in Nuremberg's favor. She agreed home confinement was an appropriate sentence. The California Board of Psychology records do not reflect any disciplinary action against Nuremberg. His license is currently active. The promise of a large landscape project attracted six alleged unlicensed contractors to a Salinas undercover sting operation conducted this January by the Contractor State License Board with assistance from Monterey County District Attorney's Office. After giving bids that exceeded the legal $500 limit for unlicensed contracting, suspects were cited for illegal contracting and other charges. The License Board statewide investigative fraud team held the operation at a single-family home with a large empty backyard where investigators requested bids for various landscaping projects. The highest bid received during the sting was $15,000 for new sod and related projects. Suspected unlicensed landscaping operators were found advertising on online bulletin boards including Craigslist. All suspects were cited on misdemeanor charges for contracting without a license. First conviction penalties include up to six months in jail and up to $5,000 in fines. Penalties es escalate with successive violations. Often, unlicensed contractors fail to obtain workers' compensation insurance for their workers. And in regulatory news, the NFL scored a huge victory last year as it published through a new law barring most professional athletes from filing workers' compensation claims in the state. The legislature passed AB 1309, which prohibits athletes who spent most of their careers playing for teams outside of California from filing claims in the state. The leagues believe the law could save them from exposure to countless claims from injured athletes, but that win has come at a cost. Publicity from the high-profile battle prompted players from around the country to file more than 1,000 injury claims just prior to a September deadline. This huge and unexpected influx could cost hundreds of millions of dollars to resolve. In the first two weeks of September, players filed 569 claims against NFL franchises, 283 claims against Major League Baseball clubs, 113 against National Hockey League teams, and 79 against NBA squads. Nearly 70% of the filings include allegations of head or brain injuries. Most of these athletes filed claims based on repetitive injuries they say were sustained in part during road games played in California. It is those claims that are now barred under the new California law. 
athletes rushing to beat the deadline, including sports legends such as Miami Dolphins quarterback Dan Marino, Baltimore Orioles pitcher Jim Palmer, and Houston Rockets center Hakeem Olajuwon. The six sports leagues affected by the new law, a group that includes Major League Soccer and the women's NBA, had predicted a jump in filings before the deadline. Still, the size of the increase was surprising. The volume of claims in September was about 10 times higher than average monthly levels since 2011. The workers' compensation data highlights the huge scale of the injury legacy that confronts American professionals sports franchises. The NFL says the average California claim cost teams $215,000 to resolve. In anticipation of that deadline, workers' compensation attorneys scrambled to find players and file claims on their behalf. Ron Mix, a San Diego applicant attorney and former Hall of Fame lineman for the San Diego Chargers, squeezed in almost 300 athlete cases in the final month. He said he paid his staff triple overtime and hired numerous temp workers to handle the last-minute paperwork. Mel Owens, a Laguna Hills applicant attorney and former Los Angeles Ram linebacker, filed more than 250 claims for athletes in the final push. Overall, between February, when the bill was introduced, and the September 15th deadline for filing cases, a total of nearly 2,000 athlete claims were filed in California. More claims were filed in that nine-month period than any other year by far. Although it's impossible to determine how many athletes will be barred after September 15th from filing under AB 1309, attorney Mix estimates it could top 4,000. In recent months, he said he's gotten calls from about 150 athletes that he had to turn away because they missed the deadline. The DWC issued a notice of public hearing to revise the hospital outpatient department and ambulatory surgical center's fee schedule. The public hearing has been scheduled for 10 o'clock a.m. on March 11th in the auditorium of the Elihu Harris Building, 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comment on the regulations until 5 p.m. that day. For services rendered before January 1st this year, the pre-2014 official medical fee schedule, physician fee schedule, applied regardless of the type of facility in which the services were provided. The notice, text of the regulations, and a RAND working paper analyzing the impacts of the proposed amendment can be found on the DWC proposed regulations web page. And in financial news, Employers with large concentrations of employees will find an increasingly difficult workers' compensation market in 2014. Insurers have begun underwriting policies that contemplate coverage without the financial protections afforded by the Federal Terrorism Risk Insurance Program Reauthorization Act, also known as TRIPRA. TRIPRA will expire on December 31st and the uncertainty over its reauthorization has resulted in higher rates and less capacity for employers. As a result, insurers less willing to underwrite risks with large employee concentrations. Some are setting policy expiration dates on 2014 programs to coincide with the anticipated expiration of TRIPRA. This is effectively pushing the challenges created by the uncertainty onto insurance buyers,
Several factors have motivated insurers to seek higher workers' compensation rates and premiums over the last 24 months, including higher claim costs, historical unprofitability, and a continued weak interest rate environment. These issues are now being compounded by the uncertainty around Tripra's reauthorization, which is contributing to an already challenging market. Workers' compensation laws prevent insurers from excluding terrorism-related losses. Officials from Marsh note that providing underwriters with the highest quality of employee accumulation data to run in their catastrophic models, including, for example, the total number of employees working during peak shifts and the percentage of the workforce in the field of tel telecommuting will help to ensure carriers have an accurate view of the risk they're considering. In addition, employers with large concentrations of workers should be prepared to provide insurers with additional detailed information, including employee marital dependency status, physical security of the building, how access to the building is controlled, management policies around workplace violence, weapons, and employee screenings, and emergency response and crisis management plans and procedures. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.